Well, this morning you have the wonderful opportunity to wrestle with something. I have the wonderful opportunity to wrestle with something that is very uncommon. This is one of those moments that you pay thousands of dollars uh, to attend a conference somewhere to prepare you for those moments of life you are unprepared for. We're only charging $9.99. What is your story? What is your story? Have you ever been of the mindset that you wish, because I am, I'll just be honest, and I'm starting to work on, on the anthology right now in video form. Uh, have you ever been of the mindset that you wish you could be at your own memorial service? Now I got your attention, don't I? What is going to be said about you at your own memorial service? Don't you, you don't want to be there? Now what if we lived life as if we had to attend? Right? It was so funny, we had uh, one of the first discipleship groups I ever had, a, a great young group of guys, and tragedy struck one of the guys in that group, and he was killed in a car accident coming home from prom. And we went down to the memorial service, I was with all the guys, and we had a Winnebago packed up with surfboards and our board shorts, and the second we were done, we were heading down for a whole weekend down in Mexico just to get away. But we had to wear our ties, we had to wear our suits, and we had to go to this, this memorial service for Ethan. And all of these people, one by one, would get up to the microphone and say these things. And my guys got so irritated. Right? Why? Because they're just one after another saying, you didn't know Ethan. And what are you talking about? He wasn't like that. What would your story be if suddenly you were able to give that story? That's where we tune in today in Acts 22. Paul left off last week. He's been beaten to a pulp in the temple area. The centurion has gathered him up to the Tetrarch and, and they're taking him to Antonio Fortress. They actually have to lift him over their heads to keep the crowd from reaching and clawing and scratching and beating him. And he gets to the temple steps, and, and, or Antonio Fortress steps, and he understands, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm going to be wise, and I'm going to address, because the scripture literally says, all of Jerusalem was gathered. Paul saw an opportunity. And see, he knew when he was going into Jerusalem, he knew what was going to happen. And so many thought that he should never go because of the beatings that he would receive, of the certain death he would receive, and yet he was prepared for that. So it's as if he knew this was the moment he would get to stand and share his last words to someone. Now, these weren't, in fact, his last words, but he doesn't know that. So this is his opportunity to tell his story, and the way that 21 ends, if you just back up, one page or wherever it is in your scriptures, you look at 21, it says that he raised his hand and he addressed the church, or he addressed Jerusalem in Hebrew. And it says they were all silent. And then it just stops. Jung, jung, jung. Right? It was so dramatic. And somebody told me last week that once, once the chapter stopped, they, they just tuned me out completely and just kept reading because they were so enthralled. What happened? What happened? Well, that's where we are today. 
And so Paul has this unique opportunity to tell his story. Next week, we have the wonderful, blessed opportunity to be baptizing uh, three people. And that's one of those moments where you get to share your story. It is a tremendous story. And so much of what you're going to hear from those three individuals next week is exactly what Paul uses as a framework to address this angry, angry crowd. There's a whole crowd gathered, and they're all gunning for you. What would you say? What would you do? And so we pick it up with Paul. And we have three key areas that we're going to look at this morning. Who I was, meaning Paul, who I was, who Jesus was to me, and who Ananias was. And so let's get into the passage and, and we'll start breaking it down. We'll, we'll get into the first section here, starting in verse 1. So it says, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they had heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet, and he said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. You can almost hear the violin from the Godfather playing in the background, right? Paul's standing there, he's beaten to a pulp, and everybody's painting. No? No? All right, I'll just stick to preaching. No violin imitation. But, but this is drama. This is dramatic. And so he says, I was just like you. I was born in this town. He goes all the way back to where God started him out. And then he says, and by the way, I grew up here in Jerusalem. We always refer to Paul as Paul of what? Tarsus. Well done. Lots of energy from the drummer today. Get ready for worship. Always. Paul of Tarsus. But in fact, he's raised in Jerusalem. Does anybody know who this individual is that, that Paul mentions? Gamaliel. If you were a scientist, this would be like saying and, and flashing your credentials to say you studied under Stephen Hawking, all right? Or another violin illusion, you studied under Segovia, right? Or if you're a guitar player, you studied under Joe, right? So the idea is that he's flashing his credentials. He's dropping names, saying what? I am you, or I was you. I was you. That's great grammar. You should use that statement all the time. Verse 4, he continues on. He says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering them to prison, both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. Stop. The high priest and these witnesses are probably there. This is some probably 15, maybe 18 years after the fact of when Paul was given those credentials. It's about a year and a half after we actually went over that passage. You remember, Paul was zealous. 
Paul refers to his zealousness and says, I'm going to relate to who you are now. I was just like you. As a matter of fact, I studied under Gamaliel. As a matter of fact, the high priest gave me letters to go kill in his name. I get what you're doing. Is this what you would say at your memorial service? Is this what you would say at your baptismal testimony? He says, from them, or yeah, from them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul chooses his words carefully. He speaks about this in 1 Corinthians 9. Let's turn there, if you will. 1 Corinthians 9. And he's sharing with the church at Corinth, which he established during these missionary journeys that we have just walked out of. And 9.22, in his testimony to those individuals, he says this, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Do you see how he's doing that even now in this moment? Folks, these are the people that scratch, kicked, clawed, punched, probably grabbed rocks, bricks, stones, used everything within their arsenal to bring Paul great suffering, even to kill him. And so what happens? I don't know that in my last words I would go this direction. Would you? It was funny, at my mom's memorial service, uh, my mom was a very interesting person. She was very dynamic. I'm going to use that, that terminology. Mom was very dynamic. But being dynamic, you can either draw people close to you or you can push people away. Now, what happens at memorial service, I'm being very honest here, aren't I? Uh, what happens at memorial service is that, you know, you, you're going to get a wide grouping of people just to come and honor you. But there's some pretty good chances there's some people sitting out there that you rubbed the wrong way. And so, you know, I was interested to see who was going to share at my mom's memorial service. And when all was said and done, I got up and I, I, I shared. And I just kind of, I just kind of deflated the room, right? It's like that balloon and you're holding the tension. And, and I already bombed on the violin imitation, so I'm not going to do the balloon thing, okay? <laughs> um, but, you know, we just let a little bit of the tension out of the room by acknowledging, just simply saying, you know, mom, this was the opening salvo. Mom wasn't the easiest to get along with, was she? And there, yeah, just like that. There was like, oh, 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 oh you know, <laughs> right? But it just kind of let a little bit of the tension out. This is what Paul is doing. He's saying, I'm going to be all things to all men, even you who just tried to kill me. Hey, guess what, guys? I was just like you. I have felt the zeal you feel now. And he, I don't know if you caught it, but he's saying that if not implied, it was explicit that he says, you have this zeal for God. Why are they attacking him? Why are they ready to murder him? You know, most murderers have a good reason why they do what they do. 
I don't know if you've talked to any, but I've talked to a lot of murderers, and they have a pretty good reason as to why they do. If you're visiting today, this is called sarcasm. It's my spiritual gift. Um, but when you really think about it, we will do some of the most heinous things because we're driven by conviction or emotional pushes. That's that word zeal. So Paul speaks to who he was. Why is he doing this? The 1 Corinthians 9 passage, his self-admission, he will become all things to all men. So he chooses to start there. The whole crowd is hushed. He's raised his hand. He's going to address them. If you had just beaten someone to a pulp, if you're standing there on execution day with your finger on the trigger and the guy says, what? He says, can I just say a few words? Would you start to sweat a little bit that he's going to say something to you? And so the crowd is fascinated at what he has to say. What does he do? He relates to them. He relates. He says, I was just like you. He chooses his words carefully. He speaks the Hebrew language. Did you all catch that? By the way, the way that we interpret that is he's speaking what? Ah, you guys are smart. You caught that that's a trick question, didn't you? No, I'm not saying anything. I don't want to be the guy that got the wrong, or the gal that got the wrong answer. Speaking the Hebrew language. I mean, it's right there. You can't miss it. It's, it's pretty explicit. So what is he speaking? You still won't go for it. You guys are awesome. You're phenomenal. I'd be doing the same thing you're doing right now. Aramaic. He's speaking Aramaic. This is one of those things where a little deeper study helps you understand what's going on. Is that Paul is speaking the common language. It's the spoken language of the Hebrews. So when it says the Hebrew language, you understand. Written was formal Hebrew. But spoken was Aramaic. The fact that he's already spoken Greek to the Greek, now he's speaking Aramaic to the Hebrew, does it now make sense when he says, I will become all things to all men for the sake of the gospel? When you have that moment to share your life, who are you going to address and how are you going to address them? Paul starts with who he was. He's speaking the Hebrew language. He says, I was zealous just as you are now. I can relate to you. It's interesting in the Life Application Bible Commentary, it says this, he shared the same well-meaning but misguided intentions. That's a great way to talk about the idea of their zealousness for God and how we will passionately pursue something. And in the midst of that pursuance, we get a little twisted sometimes. We get a little too far down the road, but we believe that we're doing the right thing because we believe this is what God would have us do. Brothers and sisters, this is why we truly need to know the whole gospel. This is why we need to know the whole scripture. This is why we need to walk step, and step, step by step with Christ so that we have an accurate understanding of who God is. Paul had yet to understand that. He also says in Philippians 3, 5 that he was a member of the Pharisees. This is that famous quote where he says, I'm a Pharisee of a Pharisee, right? Who here amongst us, not a rhetorical question, is an islander? Mike Redlick is an islander. You just take one look at Mike Redlick and you know the guy has got Mahala pouring right out of him. Right? Is that who you would pick? Isn't Shirley? Is that who you pick? 
I'm putting Shirley under the, the uh, scrutiny of the entire crowd. Shirley, who would you say in this entire church is an islander? I'm going to bet you're going to get this one right. All of these guys, right in the front row. I did not have this illustration planned. It's obvious. All these guys, right? And let me just clarify, this is not Catalina. What island, Sony? Yeah, Congan. Don't miss next week. That's all I have to say. Don't miss next week. So the fascinating thing is, is that Paul says, look, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. There was evidence of who he was. It dripped off of him. His zeal showed, this is who I was. I get you. That's the first part of his testimony. Next. Oh, who Jesus was. Let's look on. Let's start in verse 6. Actually, I'll back it up. It says, so he is traveling to Damascus to go after the early part of the way, which was what the church was called at that time, and he was going to punish them and bring them back in chains, in shackles, to Jerusalem. And it says this, starting in verse 6, As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, where or who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Understand, and we talked about this when we hit this in Acts chapter 9, that when the church suffers, it is Jesus who is suffering as well. When Hebrews, or the writer of Hebrews, informs us that we have an advocate in heaven who walked as we walked, that when we are suffering or when we have great joy, he shares in that with us. You are not praying to a dead, listless, non-attentive, non-relatable God. When Paul says, as Saul, who are you, Lord? He says, I am the one you are persecuting. Every time you strike out against my bride, Every time you strike out against the church, you strike out against me. This is a little extra. You ready? This isn't in the notes. This is bonus material. This is that part of the DVD that you go to after you watch the whole movie. It's real simple. One of the things we can learn here, because I don't know how many of us are actively pursuing hurting the church, but maybe it's something I should think of when I'm rude to my wife. Pastor's rude? Yes. There are occasions where I'm rude to my wife. Or if I'm not acting in a loving and ministerial way towards the church, or I'm not sacrificing for the church, or I strike out and I hurt someone in the church, I am in effect hurting Christ as well. And I think the American church really needs to learn this. There is a need to understand truth and to hold to truth, and to guard truth, and be shepherds of truth. I get that. But there is really a dynamic that is insipid within our society today, where the church believes they are to reach out and castigate one another, because they don't worship maybe the same way. Or because 
they're not of the same denomination. Or because um, maybe we hear rumors and we believe them about the church down the road. We may not pick up bricks to throw at someone's head, but there are other ways that we seek to hurt the church. And I want us to think about what Jesus said to Paul here. Paul didn't strike out to hurt Jesus. Jesus was nowhere in sight. He was there to hurt the church. And yet what happened? Jesus says, when asked, who are you? I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw a light but did not understand. The voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were there with me and came into Damascus. We see in chapter 9 some of the same situations, but there are some differences that happen here. Uh, he was blinded. He was confronted by Jesus Christ because of his actions. He was singled out. He's traveling with an entourage. and it, In chapter 9 of Acts, it says that those individuals saw the light, but they did not hear the voice. How does this speak to us? There will be those here today that hear the same message, and some will walk away thinking, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to go back and catch the football game from yesterday. Or, uh, you know, I got those weeds. I got I to, gotta, no, pastor, keep preaching. I don't want to get to those weeds. Right? It's just not going to connect. But maybe for some, there will be something in what is said today that strikes deeply into the heart. You know, the fascinating thing about how Jesus works is that he has his own timing for everyone. I heard someone once say it this way, different paces and different places. And so while there's a whole group and the entire group sees that light, only Saul or Paul hears the voice. It was intended for him and him alone. Isn't it fascinating? God has his perfect timing and his perfect purposes. Jesus gave personal experience to Paul that became Paul's story. Enough to instantly change his view and passion to say what? Instantaneously. Paul, who is there persecuting the church, instantaneously because he meets Jesus, his story now changes in midstream. He instantly says, what shall I do? What shall I do? Understand, this is someone who has credentials. This is someone who has letters. They have an all-access badge. They can do whatever they want to do. Right? And the very person that is the anathema to him, the very enemy that Jesus is to Paul, he instantaneously says, what shall I do? Do you know what this is? It's evidence of a changed heart. An instantaneously changed heart. You know what he's saying to these people that are trying to kill him. That he says, I was just like you. He's saying, in a moment when I met Jesus, my heart changed. And not only did it change, let me tell you how it changed. It changed into instantaneous submission. Obedient submission. Do you hear that in that term? What should I do? How many of our kids just come up to us first thing in the morning? Hey, Mom, Dad, what do you want me to do? Right? 
If you're a kid in here, I'm not throwing you under the bus. Let me just tell you, if you're a kid in here, practice that tomorrow morning, and you're going to get some great, great uh, um, stuff coming your way. Now I'm in trouble with everybody. There was an instantaneous change in Paul's heart, and that changed his story. This is where he had the crowd. And for many of us, when we share our testimony with people, this is the part where we get uncomfortable, right? Leave Jesus out of it. Just talk about your story. Just be relatable. We need to be relatable. Well, I'm just going to win them over by my lifestyle evangelism. I've got some, some friends of mine that are in the ministry that their ministry that they are prided most on, according to them, is to go out with a pack of cigarettes and hand a cigarette to a homeless person and sit there and smoke a cigarette with a homeless person. And they don't even smoke. They're just smoking a cigarette with a homeless person so they can be more relatable. But they never mention Jesus. Their strategy in that is to be as relatable as possible so that they have an audience to eventually share the gospel. My question is, Paul could have done that in this moment. He has all of Jerusalem right there. Paul. You know, you had them at I was a Pharisee. Just stick with that. You might survive this thing. Play the long game, Paul. But he doesn't. You know why? Because that wasn't his story. Brothers and sisters, if Jesus is in your story, do not, do not hide that fact. Boldly proclaim it. Can you imagine walking on a car lot? You need to get a car and the salesman sees you. He's like a shark smells blood. They, that's how it works out there. And, and they walk up to you and they say, um, what are you doing here? Probably not going to happen. And that's going to be my first indicator. I probably need to go elsewhere. But then maybe I just give the, the person a chance. And I say, well, I, I was interested in this 1942 Cortina over here. Right? That's about my speed. And uh, they say, well, no, we got, for the sake of the illustration, I'm interested in this 2018, um, uh, somebody mentioned, an Audi, right? 2000, 2018 Audi A7. I'm interested in that. And, and the guy's going to make a lot, of, and he says, really? Really? Why? Are you sure? Because there's a Subaru over there on that other lot that... I don't know. Have you seen their commercials? Like, they have dogs driving their cars. That's kind of cool. Do I want to buy what that guy is selling? No. Then why do we leave Jesus out of our story sometimes? That's the greatest part of your story if you know Jesus. Thank you. Let's try that again. That's the best part of your story if you know Jesus. You can say, add a boy. You can say, preach it. You can say, there's a lot of things you can say there. Does anybody not know what amen means? And you're just like, yeah, exactly. That's what amen means. I can do it. No, it doesn't. Look it up later. Jesus gives directions for Paul by providing a future. This is what is happening here. He says, what do I do? You know, with Jesus, you have a future. Again, we say what? Yeah. Paul doesn't use apologetics or the scriptures here to convince anyone of anything. You'll find those people that want to train you in evangelism. And they say, you have to use scripture. You know, there's some people I've been out with and, and I'm talking with someone and all of a sudden an opportunity comes up 
And then, you know, they, they, they start sharing about Jesus and their personal story. And I walk up to them and I say, you know, afterwards, when we're getting coffee. I say, you know what? You're pretty good, but, you know, you, you really kind of stunk it up. You get an F because you didn't use any scripture. And then they take me to Acts 22 and they say, did you read this part about Paul? And I'm like, ooh. But you always have to use scripture. Somebody taught me that. Why don't you use your evidence that demands a verdict? Why don't you use your case for Christ? Why don't you use just seven of these resources you spend a decade studying and, and preparing for this very moment? Well, Paul didn't. It was enough for him just to say who Jesus was to him. Do you realize that's one of the greatest things that you can do? is talk about how Jesus just simply changed your life. We're getting there. We're getting there. Who is Jesus for you? Who is Jesus for you? Some of you know my story. And uh, I was what you call an inconvenient truth. I'm going to use that because everybody knows what that statement's all about, right? Um, I was what's called an inconvenient truth. My mother, my biological mother, lived through World War II on the streets of Mannheim. Um, as near as I can keep things straight on this story, uh, my mom was bred. She was not born. She was bred in the Aryan nation. You only hear stories of this. This is my lineage. She was bred by an SS officer and a woman that was brought into that program to create the Aryan nation. Uh, my mother grew up in the hideous sense of never knowing who her family was. She was lied to over and over and she was bounced around. She had no, I mean, if you want to talk about PSD, or PTSD, or ADDBG, or whatever it is, she probably had it. The end story is that she didn't know how to be a mom. She had no idea how to be a mom. But she knew how to fall in love with military guys. And so I, being the last of, of seven, um, I have a, the oldest brother of, of our clan, so to speak, oddly enough, is a priest on the East Coast. And, and here's the baby, and I'm a pastor on the West Coast. So we have a lot of very interesting dialogue. But the fascinating thing about my story is that I look at it in the sense that, just like, like Psalms talks about the fact that God took David and pulled him from the sheep pens and asked him to shepherd Israel. And he did it with skillful hands and with integrity of heart. It's a life verse for me that my life looked like this. I interpreted everything this way until I met Jesus. Until I met Jesus. So who is Jesus to me? Jesus is a life changer. Jesus is a new identity. Jesus gives me purpose. Jesus is the hero in my story. Is he the hero in your story? I hope so. Let me finish up by introducing you to Annas, or Ananias. Annas is a completely different story. So Paul says to Jesus, what do I do? And it says, and 
He sends him on to Damascus, and he's got someone waiting for him. Verse 12, And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me, and standing by me, said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So let me clarify here. God set up an Ananias. If you read chapter 9 of Acts, you see how God approaches, Christ approaches Ananias. And he says, I've got a job for you, Ananias. And Ananias says, no, I don't want the job. Do you know who this guy is? Everybody knows who this guy is. Are you kidding me? And yet Ananias was faithful to submit himself to the Lord. And look at how he was used greatly in Paul's life. Many of you, God has appointed to be an Ananias. Whether it's someone in your family, whether it's someone that's a new believer, whether it's someone who has yet to know Christ. God has appointed many of us to be that Ananias voice. God chose, He could have just done it right there in that moment in Damascus, but He chose to include Ananias. Because it's not just about the individual with Jesus Christ, it's about the whole bride, the, the entire church, is it not? And so these are the things that we look at and we say, as part of our story, who is your Ananias? If I were standing before you and I, I was running the, the DVD or the the, the file on video and you got to hear me speak at my memorial service, there are those who are part of this body, part of this church that I would refer to as my Ananias. I have four or five mentors in my life who are those individuals that speak into my life and give me guidance that I lean on. Brothers and sisters, I encourage you, find that person that God has intended in your life to be that voice like Ananias was for Paul. Or maybe even more importantly, be that person. And I can guarantee you, you know when God's speaking because usually when that happens, you're going to say, no, you got wrong person. Do you understand the time? Do you, do you know how busy I am? I don't have time for this. Um, I'm not really a good speaker. That person over there is a good speaker. Okay, Moses. We can go on and on and on through all the excuses. Just understand, Ananias had the excuses as well. But the beauty of it is, is that Ananias said yes. Amen. And so he becomes part of this story that Paul gives from the steps that morning. Well, it all goes south. Because Paul doesn't stop. He keeps going. And he says in verse 17, When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. Prophetic words here. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed you. He's going back to who he was. 
And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you away to the Gentiles. And that is the end of our story today. Another jing, jing, jing. Because we get to see, well, you had the crowd here, Paul, and you had to mention the G word. Paul was not afraid to tell his story. My question to you is, are you afraid to tell your story? Your story is still in progress. Are you willing to do the things that Paul did? Recognize who he was. Recognize who Jesus was. Recognize who those mentors are in your life. And as your story is being written day by day, page by page, that it produces something that I want to show you here in, uh, in these verses. He says this. He understands, obviously, who he was. There's no doubt about it. If you ever wondered, did Paul just get so enamored in the gospel and in Jesus and the use of the Holy Spirit that he just kind of let go of it? No, he knew exactly who he was. He says on these steps, after he talks about his encounter with Jesus, he says what? And I was zealous to persecute. And I was the one that threw my cloak down so that Stephen would be killed. He knew some of those people were in the crowd in front of him. He says, let me make mention of my history. But he says this, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Amen? There are many of us that may struggle with the idea of our past and that we just cannot escape our past. If anybody could not escape their past, it is Paul. He's standing in front of those. Elephant in the temple, please. Right? And so I met Jesus, I met him. And then he scans and goes, oh, there's Mordecai. Uh, he was there when I threw down the cloak for Stephen. And so he says, I know, Mordecai, I know. I know what I did. I know, I know it's there. But you know what? Because of Jesus, I leave the past behind and I press on towards the goal because the story is always being written until Jesus takes us home. Amen? Another verse that I want to encourage you with, or passage, he says this to the Corinthians, according to the grace God <clears throat> of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is who? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He's talking about how he, he knew what he was doing. But in midstream, Jesus got a hold of him and Jesus said, no, I am the one you submit to. I am the one who is here for your benefit. I am the one that you should serve. And so he says, now I lay a foundation in Jesus Christ. And anybody who wants to build on the reputation of what I've been doing, you need to be about that. This church should always build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Amen? And he goes on, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, 
but only as through fire. That's a tremendous passage when we're talking about our story. What is it that God has called you into? What is it that Jesus has intersected in your life so that you go from who I was to who I am in Christ to where I will be and what I have been doing for the Lord that will not be burned up? What is your story? Let me give you three questions to help you with that in closing today. Number one, who would people say you are? Now this is a trap, right? Because Paul even talks about he doesn't care what people say about who he is, right? But just as a litmus test, who would people say you are? Because if people don't know that I love Christ, then something's wrong with how I live my life. If people don't see the evidence of that, but I talk about it, then something's wrong with my life. I need to change my story, do I not? So we start here. Who would people say I am? Really, it's most important about who God says I am. Who would Jesus say I am? I am a sinner redeemed by the Almighty, given every spiritual blessing on heaven and on earth to His glory, one who will be brought back to heaven, that will remain in the courts of heaven serving His King His entire eternal life. That's how I see myself. And on top of that, I get a little bit of blessing of being married to my wife and having my kids. And I get a lot of blessing of, of, of being a pastor. I get a lot of blessing of, of engaging and encouraging and using the spiritual gifts that he's given me. This is who Jesus says I am. There is the temptation to think I'm this. An inconvenient truth. But that's not who I am. That's not who Jesus says I am. Lastly, who would stand one day and call you Ananias? Imagine at a memorial service where individuals are talked of. There was a great saint that was part of this church body for a long time named Pauline Thomas. And I remember at her service, her daughter stood and spoke. And her daughter said, with great joy in her heart, I just want to thank those that are here from Concord Bible Church because you have loved and you have been family to my mom when I couldn't be there and specifically name people. What a blessing. What a blessing. When it's all been said and done and our story is being read, who will people say you are? Who will Jesus say you are? And who would stand one day and call you Ananias? Let me lead us in prayer, and I'm going to have the worship team come forward. Uh, and this morning we're going to be participating in the, in the communion of the Lord. Let's bow our hearts together. Father, we ask that as we study this testimony by Paul about his own life, we pray that we see the importance we pray that we see the values of what's being stated here. It's not just some great discourse on the steps of Antonio Fortress. That, Father, this is how Paul sees his life. This is what he would want said in those last moments. And he did not shirk away from what it is that you would give to him to do. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all that you bless us with. 
lead us this week to make changes if we need to make changes to our story. Adapt our story so that it has you in it more and more every day. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the witness of Paul and your work in his life to encourage us in our walk. To you be all glory. Amen.